What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. We've got a very special sponsor to lead us off. We got Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your baseball betting needs this season as it is officially opening day. Get analysis of every play, prop, and points at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online as a whole. Uh, Bet Online is your baseball, basketball, uh, football headquarters this season. Head to our website today and use our mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code, uh, believe, to receive your bonus pay. Bet a line where the game starts. Now to the Bruin Bible. Man, what is up? And welcome to the latest edition of the Bruin Bible. Very special guest in the house, man. He's one of my favorite people at On3. You got to check out the hard count with him, his podcast. He just had James Franklin on this week our future Big Ten foe at Penn State, Mr. J.D. Pakel, the pride of Cornell football. What is going on, brother? It's great to hear from you, man. Man, that's quite the intro. I appreciate that, brother. Now I'm glad to be on with you and excited to talk some ball. Talk some ball, we will. And I wanted to bring you on from a national point of view for what the Pac-12 is going through. You know, the disbandment. Uh, I cover UCLA specifically, so UCLA and USC are bolting to the Big Ten. But ironically, it is coming in a year where – it may be the most loaded it's ever been in terms of the quarterback position and how these players can drive their way. And just off the top of my head, J.D., I mean, it's like Caleb Williams, returning Heisman Trophy winner. I would think Bo Nix and Penix Jr. have very favorable odds to be at least in New York come next year. And then you just have these other guys like Cam Rising. Find me a more solid quarterback than that at the college football level. Back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances. And then you got you know Cam Ward at Washington State. You got Shador Sanders transferring with his dad at Colorado, um, you know, at DJU going to Oregon State in this Aiden Childs competition. It's a fun, fun year to be a part of the Pac-12. What is your thoughts on kind of the Pac-12 disbanding and how loaded it is from top to bottom, given every team except for the Stanford and Cows of the world, J.D.? No, I think you put it perfectly. It is so deep. It is so loaded. And I think the way that the conference – could look in 2023 again i don't pretend to know a ton about all of the tv deals and all the stuff going on behind closed doors with suits and how the pac-12 is going to shake out in the future but i would just say in terms of a season you would want to make a case for your conference and what it could mean for the future like 2023 i think is going to be extremely entertaining i think it could be kind of gladiator style with the exception of whatever you know usc brings to the table but there are so many like there are so many teams in this conference will where if you told me three or four different teams are going to win it you know you just throw them out there and say washington's going to win it. i'd say yeah makes sense so well, ucla is going to win i'd be like oh interesting okay yeah i could see that usc okay they're the odds on favorite like there's so many teams you go down the list here that have a very legitimate shot at claiming the conference crown so i think it'll be entertaining i think it'll be a great look nationally for them going forward and i'm excited to see it 
man. And let's start with the Bruins. This is the Bruin Bible podcast, UCLA. The Chip Kelly experience has been kind of an up and down thing with the fan base. It's now trending upwards, but it's easy to forget the first three years they were, he was 10 and 21. He was, you know, playing with Jim Mora's players. They're essentially had the DTR experience. He's turned it around the last two years. And there's a couple reasons as to why, in my opinion, the transfer portal. This guy has utilized the transfer portal as well as anyone. If you look at the caliber of players he's getting there, the Liatu Latus, the Zach Charbonnets. I think this year, J. Michael Sturdivant and Oladeja, the linebacker from Cal, are really going to make a jump. Um, what do you think about Chip Kelly and the trajectory he's got UCLA moving in? 17 wins in the last two years and two bowl game selections for UCLA, J.D.? Chip Kelly, to me, is one of those guys who is such a proven commodity across the landscape. Like, he even worked for a period of time in the NFL. I know that didn't exactly end how a lot of Eagles fans had hoped it would end, but he's proven he can win ballgames. He knows how to build teams, knows how to build rosters. I think schematically, in terms of an offensive mind, I'll put him up there with anybody else in the country. I really do. And I think you hit it on the head, the transfer portal, the way they've utilized that and kind of been on – the forefront of that been in attack mode getting guys to Westwood which is probably an easier place to get guys to than uh, you know some other schools across the country um, they're always going to have a chance when he's the head coach there and when he's got this thing humming how he does right now so I'm just fascinated by that quarterback room I'm, I'm curious to see if it's you know the more proven Colin Schley or the you know maybe higher ceiling you know maybe the the future of the program with a guy like Dante Moore so I'm excited and, and Carson Steele another guy they got yeah. that a lot of people enjoyed during action this past season. Excited to see what he does. So a lot of cause for excitement, and I really believe they got the right guy leading the leading the boat there with Chip Kelly. Yeah, 1,500 yards on the ground last year from Carson Steele, and you alluded to it. Dante Moore coming in was a big, big deal for UCLA. I told you before this podcast, on three was kind of my source for everything going on with Dante Moore coming to UCLA, and you've seen the recruitment. Uh, just of him and just how it's affected the program. I mean, UCLA has a huge uh, list of visitors coming through this weekend, including number eight prospect in the country, Elijah Rushing, out of uh, Tucson, South Point Catholic, the defensive end. What does it mean, you know, when you get a valuable quarterback recruit like that? How valuable is that to a program? Because on the outside looking in, it kind of has allows other players to kind of buy into the program more, knowing that the CEO of the offense, the team, if you will, is a talented quarterback prospect at that, J.D.? I think so much of it for other recruits, even through the transfer portal, it provides security and it provides direction. Security in the sense that at the end of the day, if I'm playing receiver, I'm playing running back, I'm on the offensive line, heck, if I'm even on, on the defensive side of the ball, I know that we have a centerpiece of this team that's going to be able to get the ball to playmakers, that's going to be a steady hand when we're fourth and one and we got to beat USC on the last play of the game. Like I just know that we have a guy that has the potential to do that for us. And a guy like Dante Moore, as talented as he is, you feel security in that. And then the other piece of this is there's direction. It's not a matter where you're the offensive coordinator, or you're Chip Kelly calling the plays and you're saying, hmm, what, what are we able to call here? Okay. Are we able to, you know, call the, the deep play action game and get it to our guy downfield. It's more so what do we want to call? Dante Moore, a lot of tools, a, a really high floor, as much as he does have a high ceiling. Um, so I think for, for that reason, if you're a recruiter, someone thinking about UCLA, it's absolutely a, a huge selling point that the future of the program with Dante Moore is in a really solid and exciting place. Yeah, and before I get to the rest of the Pac-12, I just want to finish on this point. 
Do you think UCLA has an outside chance of taking the Pac-12 as a whole? They don't have to play Washington. They don't have to play Oregon in the regular season. They got some tough games. I know Utah is a big one. It's going to be at Utah, which is an underrated place to play. They got to go to Oregon State and to USC across town. But those three games are really the only tough ones on the surface I really see. Do you think they have a chance of maybe playing for the Pac-12 title when all is said and done? Absolutely, I do. Without question. I mean, there are so many teams that are probably going to have more talented rosters, like maybe Oregon's in that conversation, USC's maybe in that conversation. But with Chip Kelly and his resume, I think it just shows he's someone that you can never count out. The Pac-12, I don't know that you can really point to too many teams outside of USC that are going to be the favorite to win that conference. It just it feels like we said at the beginning of the segment, just going to be a dogfight. It really will be a dogfight, I think, for 12 weeks and when all the dust settles. If you were to tell me UCLA is going to be holding the crown, it wouldn't be overwhelmingly surprising to me. Yeah, and we got to dive into arguably the favorites, the crosstown rival, still a part of the LA Football Network community. We got to shout them out. USC and you know, I think you made a point on your show earlier this week. It's uh, college football playoff or bust for them. And I couldn't agree more. You have the the Caleb Williams, the returning Heisman. He's a part of that ilk where it's like you look at these quarterback prospects, the best we've seen coming out of college, whether it's a Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck, these guys where it's a can't-miss prospect. And they have that in the fold. They've got a great offense. And, you know, you said Chip Kelly's one of the best, you know, schemers on offense, and I totally agree. Lincoln Riley's right there in that conversation, right, just for what he's been able to do. What I'm worried about is the defense for them. You know, 106th in total defense last year. Alex Grinch was kind of the the beating pole for USC last year when it came to, you know, the fan base and just being, you know, upset with what they were doing. You watch the two-lane game, you know, in the Cotton Bowl where they just ran right through that USC defense. A lot of good transfers coming in. You know, they were a top-five transfer team, as I heard on your show. Um, Bear Alexander kind of being the big one from that, you know, coming from Georgia. What are you thinking about USC, and are they your favorites to take the Pac-12 coming into 2023? I think they're definitely the favorites just by nature of what you said. They got Caleb Williams. They got the Ross. They got Lincoln Riley, who's been to the playoff himself, I believe, multiple times. So I think you, you said exactly what the big question is for all of USC fans. Hey, we got Caleb Williams. He's definitely like our star power, our edge. He's going to be the calling card for us. We feel pretty confident for USC fans scoring 40-ish a game. Now, what are we doing on the defensive side of the ball? And you said it last year, they gave up over 400 yards a game. They gave up over 160 rushing yards a game. Like if they have just, you know, 10% better on defense in the game against Tulane, they probably win that game. Maybe they're Pac-12 champions. Who knows if Caleb Williams doesn't end up getting injured and they get better effort on defense or better production on defense. So I think the key thing for USC fans isn't, okay, we got to get this defense to be the 85 Bears or we, we got to get this defense just to be holding teams under 20 points a game. I think you have a defense last year that if you were to grade them out, you're probably somewhere in like the D range. But if you get this defense to like the B minus range, like, hey, this is a different conversation now. Like then, okay, now we got a shot for our offense to be the edge as opposed to the equalizer. Yeah. And I know the Pac-12, you know, is very offensive heavy conference, but seeing USC at 106 out of what is it, 131 Total Division One teams that just doesn't look right yeah. on paper. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was a it was a tough year for them on defense. If they improve a little bit with what we know from Caleb Williams, they're going to be just fine next year. Next team I want to talk about, and I think this is the team that I think I'm most excited about as somebody outside of the UCLA realm to watch. 
Washington, man. That offense is special. I mean, Penix Jr., you couple that with Odunzi and, you know, Jalen McMillan on the outside and Kalen DeBoer. I mean, just the the air raid offense this guy has. I mean, go ask Jake Hayner how much he loved playing for Caleb DeBoer. This is a guy that just gets the offense and is one of the more underrated head coaching hires, I think, in the last few years for UW. Give me your take on Washington because just at least from an offensive standpoint, they might have the best big three as a whole of anybody in the conference. They're one of those teams that when you look at the Pac-12, USC is going to get a lot of headlines. Oregon's going to get a lot of headlines. But Washington's one of those teams that could very well start the year within the top 10. Like I think Washington's going to be a team that we just have to account for when it comes to October and potentially into November for, hey, are they going to be a real college football playoff contender? So they're sneaky, I think, in terms of their brand. But you just said it, Michael Penix Jr., Kalen DeBoer, a team that I feel like has a pretty solid identity. Uh, I think they have a pretty decent returning production somewhere in the top 25. So Washington, what you saw last year, a team that won 11 games, a lot of those cats are coming back and the most important piece in the quarterback. So I think they're they're sort of sneaky just because people don't really talk a ton about Washington in the preseason, right? It's not one of those big brands. But when we start the season and we start playing ball, I think Washington's going to be a team that absolutely is making headlines. Yeah, we got a circle on the calendar. November 4th, 2023, USC going against Washington. That's going to be a game that will likely decide the Pac-12 and the outcome of it. I've got actually Washington as my preseason number two, just behind the likes of USC. Oregon, Bo Nix revival. I can't get over how crazy this was, J.D. You know, you guys covered the SEC a lot more than we do, but I knew the, the, the pulse of the Auburn fan base. They were tired of them. They were like, hey, we are – We'll drive Bo to the airport ourselves if it comes down to it. That's exactly what happened. He goes to Oregon, but under the tutelage of Kenny Dillingham, really revived his career and was a Heisman candidate for roughly four to five weeks at the end of last season. He was sensational. And you get Troy Franklin back, who I think is probably the most underrated receiver coming in on paper, the Pac-12 this year. Bucky Irving, a 1,000-yard tailback that averaged about seven yards a carry. I just referenced Washington's big three. I would put Oregon's right below them, but they're still incredibly talented, especially if Knicks shows what he can do last year, not only with the arm, but the legs. Give me your take on Oregon, man, because Dan Lanning, that guy's a beast, man, and he's recruiting. He's getting transfers in. For him to go get 10 wins in his first year, you know, as, as a official head coach, I'm impressed, man. I think Oregon's in really good hands, and they could, they could easily be the, the, the team that comes out of this at the end of the day, man. So what's your take on Oregon? No, with Dan Lanning, especially with the playoff expanding, just the direction of Oregon, how they're recruiting, how they finished last year on signing day, the tear they've been on this last week or so with the top 10 class right now. Oregon, in the future, I think is going to be one of those teams that's consistently in, if not that automatic bid winning the Pac-12, they're going to be in that at-large bid conversation a whole heck of a lot. Like Dan Lanning's building a team that – isn't just able to win in the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 has its own connotation, which I think is a lot of you know, conversation that maybe people in the Southeast like to have. I think Pac-12 plays really good football. But when you look at the trenches, he's really building that thing from both lines of scrimmage out. And so just look at 2023 with Bo Nix. If Bo Nix is able to have the kind of season he had last year, even with the new offensive coordinator with Kenny Dillingham gone to ASU, if he's able to have that same kind of production and then the secondary at Oregon is able to kind of pick it up a little bit and be a little bit more serviceable, Oregon's going to be in that Pac-12 title conversation too, man. I mean, like you said, Bo Nix really was just 
the lightning bolt that struck Oregon football and, and brought them to a different kind of level along with Dan Lanning. So I'm very, very curious to see what we see from them this coming year. Because a lot of people, I think, too, are probably holding their breath. Probably a lot of those folks in Auburn, Alabama, saying, yeah, yeah, that's great to did that for one season, but just just wait. Just wait to see if Bo Nix regresses to the Bo Nix that we know. So I'm not buying that necessarily, but it's just something to keep an eye on if we see an encore performance like we saw in 22. And to their credit, I mean, I know this Georgia team was historic, but he opened the season again in SEC play when they played in Atlanta. And we saw the outcome of that game. It was a tough one for Bo Nix. But – I do want to say, and I know it's a poor man's version, so hear me out on this. What he did last year, the 29 touchdowns, 14 rushing TDs, it was the closest I've seen it, and granted, it was a lesser level of competition in the Pac-12. Closest I've seen to like a Tim Tebow impersonation at the college level, how they used him in the red zone, you know, 43 total touchdowns, 14 of those on the ground, 29 through the air. I just saw a lot of that, how they used him in the red zone situation. So I loved what I saw from Knicks. It's crazy that we're opening we've we've talked about four teams and we haven't talked about the defending the two-time defending Pac-12 champions in the regular season Utah. This and this is exactly how they want it. Kyle Whittingham is I think he's the most underrated coach in the country. I know I've got some West Coast bias coming here, but just seeing what this guy does year in and year out, it's special, man. It is so special. He gets back his signal caller Cam Rising coming back. And, you know, I talked to him at media day last year for PAC 12 and I go, what is it about rising? Like what made him the guy? Because you saw two years ago when uh, Brewer came in and started for them and it was a completely different team when rising got the car keys for Utah. And he said, he's the best leader of men I've ever been around. So when you hear that kind of statement for a cam rising, that, that holds weight to me. Just knowing the kind of figure that Kyle Whittingham is to that program, you get Devon Valley back, you get Brant Keithy back, a tight end that was very, you know, uh, on the national level before he had a season-ending injury. And on top of that, you get Micah Pittman transferring back from Florida State to kind of add to that offensive thing. Yes, they lost Kincaid. Yes, they lost Clark Phillips in the defense. But until I see otherwise, I just know what I get with the Utah team. They're going to be tough. They're going to be counted out, and they're going to always come out and make plays. What do you think about Utah coming into 2023, my man? I think with Kyle Whittingham, you just know exactly – who you are if you're a Utah fan. You know exactly what your team's bringing to the table. And then take a step further. Like you said, Cam Rising, you hope he's healthy sooner rather than later. But this is a team that, like you said, they're happy to have everybody talk about USC. That A lot of, a lot of the same was last year, talking about Caleb Williams and him coming to L.A. and Lincoln Riley about to light up the scoreboard. And all Utah did for two different games was just go out there and just physically dominate a USC team. So make no mistake, as talented as USC is, we're having that conversation around the line of scrimmage with what they're adding through the portal because of what Utah did. I mean, Utah, I think, has forced USC's hand to say, hey, if you want to win this conference, if you want to take this trophy from us, which we've won now in back-to-back years, you got to get more physical. you got to try and come into our place. I say our place, metaphorically. you got to come play our style of ball and be more physical because USC now in two different tries has failed to do that. And it was never more evident than the PAC 12 title game a year ago. I mean, they just bullied them. Well, it was unbelievable, man. It was just, just how bad that USC defense got exposed in that second half where they looked like they just didn't even want to be there. It was a mental toughness thing that Utah possessed over them. That's why they came out with the W in that game. This is where it gets fun for the PAC 12. Cause you got a lot of like silent sleepers, maybe a little more distant, but might be worth, you know, throwing a $5 bet on, you know, given the odds of what these guys might be. And those three teams for me, 
Oregon State, I think what the job that uh, – God, I'm blanking on the head coach's name right now, but he is such a talent. Yeah, John Smith. Is, yeah. yeah, Jonathan Smith, man. Is he going to get some SEC love if he does another, you know, 9-10 win season with what he's doing at Oregon State? Because it is impressive as hell. You got Colorado, maybe the biggest storyline with Deion Sanders coming in all of college football. You saw the spring game. You saw the numbers pulling up. He's getting guys in the transfer portals. I don't know if it's going to fit in the X's and O's department, but I'm excited to see what that looks like. And then I got to give it up, man. Jed Fish is doing a hell of a job at Arizona. He's turned that program around from arguably the worst power five school into a team that's likely going to make a bowl game this year with Jane Delora, Tetaroa McMillan. You got Justin Flo transferring down from Oregon. Give me your takes on these three teams because I think they're very interesting. You totally cannot count them out heading into 2023, man. I mean, we'll start with we'll start with Arizona. I mean, Jaden Delora is must see TV yeah. at the quarterback position. Man, yeah. I mean, anytime he rolls out and he's about to, you know, think about tucking it or thinking about throwing it, like he's such a problem for defenses. And we saw them. I think it was a season ago where where they were playing spoiler for a lot of these different teams and really should have made a bowl game and finished at five and seven. So, Jaden Delora, as long as he's playing quarterback for you, there's always that potential it factor that could be in play. Of yeah, well, hey. You know what Jaden Lore is going to do. You don't know how much he's going to go for that Saturday. So that's backyard football, man. Backyard football. 100%. I mean, I think it was UCLA that he just gave fits to during, during last season. I mean, I remember watching that game back and being like, holy smokes, man. Number four out there is just dealing. Um, and then we talk about Oregon State. I think similar to what we talked about with Utah, I think Oregon State's a team that has an identity. I know they got a, a different quarterback coming in here with DJ Uwe Ungalale, but. I mean, good night. Physical team, going to make you say uncle, going to try and use their offensive line to move you against your will. And you just wonder if you sprinkle in a quarterback who's maybe a little bit more physically gifted, whether it is DJU or whether it's Aiden Childs. I mean, someone who's going to be able to push the ball vertically for them, maybe changes the balance that they have there. So, I mean, those two teams, I think especially in 23, you think about being competitive and dark horses in that Pac-12 title race. Colorado is sort of its own beast. And it's so funny, Will, because we talk so much about Colorado in the preseason. We talk about what they could be and might be, and everyone has an opinion. And it's like, man, at the end of the day, we have no data points anywhere else in college football history to comp with Colorado. I mean, we, we've never seen a roster turned over like this where it I mean, legitimately is a different team than what you saw a year ago. Different staff, different players. I think it's different training staff. Like everything is different at Colorado. And I think just the timeline that they have before them to get a whole new team to mesh and be developed and trained to how they want it to be for the first year is going to be a challenge without a doubt. But, I mean, we have no data point to go off of. So they're a whole question mark in themselves, and I cannot wait to start penciling some answers. Yeah, man. And Colorado, it's if he can find a guy to do schematically what, you know, some of these high level coaches do, because as a figurehead for your program, it's been proven like Deion Sanders is money and he can turn your program overnight into a, a recruiting destination. We know this, but can he get the schematics right? It's one thing to do it at Jackson State, but now you're playing in the big leagues, man. This is going to be a big, big season for Colorado to kind of figure it out. I really do like Shador Sanders. I do like Travis Hunter, but you just don't know until we get out there and see them in action. So it's going to be a fun, fun year for Colorado. Let's turn to the national landscape. And I know you've said some of these on your show, but I want to kind of invite our listeners to, you know, preach the gospel of what's going on with our guy on three, man. So SEC West, there's a lot of talk about LSU actually finishing ahead of Bama again this year. 
And I know the quarterback issue is not ideal when it comes to, you know, Alabama. But until I see it consistently, it's going to be hard for me to see them losing back-to-back years in the SEC West. And I know everyone's talking about, oh, it's, you know, it's the weakest roster Bama's had in a long time. BS, man. Three of the top six recruiting classes, like, ever are a part of this Bama team right now. So they, they have the talent. They come in, they recycle it. We've seen it time and time again. What is your take on the SEC West? And more importantly, do you think Ole Miss has a chance to throw their name in the hat here? You know, I think Ole Miss is going to be dangerous. I think Ole Miss is probably one of those teams that will have a good chance to beat somebody with a chance to win the SEC West, maybe more so than them themselves putting themselves in that SEC West champion conversation. But, I mean, the Alabama-LSU conversation is just fascinating. Like, LSU and themselves to be so ahead of schedule after the first year with Brian Kelly. Like, I think the over to win total was seven for them going into 2022 and they go ahead and rattle off double digit wins and show up in Atlanta. Do we see Jaden Daniels be the version we saw of him post Auburn where he's consistently, you know, able to make good decisions with when he decides to tuck in and run. And when he's able to push the ball vertically, like that's the big thing LSU fans want to see is does Jaden Daniels unhitch the wagon and allow us to be more multiple offensively. Now I think what you said is on the money about Alabama, Nick Saban, Let's face it, he has the college football public exactly where he wants us. I mean, exactly. Everybody's saying Saban's going to kind of, you know, fade into the sunset here and Bama's down and this, that, and the other. He doesn't have a quarterback. Like, Saban is just licking his chops right now. And so, I I mean, I'll say this. I am not going to be the person to bet real money against Alabama. I mean, maybe I have an opinion that goes against Alabama, but I will not put any dollars against Nick Saban. Just not going to do it. And I'm very curious to see what happens there with that quarterback room. Well, I'll say this too. I don't know that it's quite as big a deal as a lot of people want to make it out to be. Like, I don't think we're going to see Alabama be the version offensively we saw last year where it's set hut quarterback, go make a play for us. Like, I think it will be bully ball. I think it will be old school Bama. And I think the quarterback just has to be consistent and not give the ball to the other team. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen in the past, I mean, Jacob Coker won them a national championship, you know, like AJ McCarron, solid quarterback, great game manager, but you know, I'd be hard pressed to say he was a star in college football. He never was that to me. Uh, Even like a Stetson Bennett thing, you know, at Georgia, one back to back made plays when he had to, but you know, it was more the team environment as opposed to the quarterback. And that's pretty much always how it's been at Alabama outside of the rare, you know, Tua and Bryce Young seasons, if you will. So it's going to be a fun matchup to watch. So my grandpa went to University of Michigan. So that is kind of been my unofficial team outside of the Pac-12 for a long time. It's going to be tough when the UCLA is going to be playing them in a couple of years. I'm going to have to ride with UCLA, but I got a lot of love for Michigan. Are we buying that they're going to take Ohio State down for a third straight year? As a thought that was inconceivable to Michigan fans as a whole, you know, just two or three years ago itself. It's wild because for Michigan, like they don't have the better roster from a talent standpoint. Like you look at how Ohio State's recruited since 2020. They've had the number one class in the Big Ten, had a top five class nationally. So Ohio State, in theory, should have the superior players to Michigan. And Michigan's just gone out there two years in a row. And really, it felt like at least the, the second half of both those games feel kind of the same with Michigan just sort of imposing their will, being the tougher team. And now last year, too, we saw a more dynamic threat for them at quarterback. So I do think for Michigan, if they want to make it a third in a row, they're going to have to be a version of what we saw 
in Columbus this past year against Ohio State. Like, I think J.J. McCarthy has all the ability in the world, but they got to let him cook a little bit because if they want to just continue to play the we're tougher than you, I think that works to a degree. But a third year in a row, Ohio State has made it their mission now to like, hey, if we lose this game, it's not going to be because Blake Gorham and Donovan Edwards went for 300 yards rushing against us or whatever it ends up being. So I think they will bring more to the table there. And we saw J.J. McCarthy be the answer to that in the second half last year. So for them to do it, you're going to have to have that piece of it on defense. And then you feel confident about the talent in that quarterback room, whether it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. I mean, it's like, hey, pick your five-star, first-world problems, right? But that, that still has to translate because C.J. Stroud – was a generational player and they went 0 2 against Michigan. So I'm curious to see it. But if you're picking a roster right now, you're picking, you know, the resume of what's happened the last couple of years, it's hard to pick against Michigan right now. It really is. And outside of those two, because those are the the banner names in the Big Ten, if you will, uh, Ben State included, you know, uh, I know you just spoke to Franklin this past week. If you had to pick a sleeper in the Big Ten that could like come out of nowhere, Penn State's got to be in that group. I'm not ready to give up on Iowa. They always have so much talent. That offense was putrid to watch last year. But, man, Kirk Ferentz, I mean, he's like the Kyle Whittingham of the Big Ten for me. Just underrated, does it the right way, tough teams. Like, you love the guy. Who are your sleepers in the Big Ten that can maybe threaten those top two? I think, like you mentioned, Penn State's got to be in there. It almost feels like cheating saying Penn State's a sleeper for the Big Ten. Like, people well, will say, Penn State's a sleeper for the Big Ten. It's like – all right, dude, like, congrats. You picked a five-star quarterback in a team that won double-digit games last year. Not really a sleeper. Um, yeah. For me – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was I was falling along. I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. Penn State is like it, right? Yeah. It feels like it. I mean, I so I feel like we know what that side of the Big Ten is going to be or at least have an have a idea those three will probably just all kill each other to find a way into Indianapolis. The Big Ten West, to me, is a lot like I'm going to go see a movie – that my friend told me about. Like, I haven't seen previews. I don't really know the plot. I just kind of got told about it before we went to the theater, and it was like, yeah, it's something to do. So, like, I kind of know what's going to happen in the Big Ten West, but at the same time have no idea, like, what's Nebraska going to be with Matt Rule now calling the shots? Usually it takes him a little bit longer, but now with the portal, does that change things? You mentioned Iowa. Have an elite defense. Is Cade McNamara going to change the outlook? The team that I'm really curious about in the Big Ten West is Wisconsin. They've yeah. been a tough team physically for so long. Luke Fickle is someone I would follow into a dark alley. I think Tanner Mordecai is probably the best kept secret within the Big Ten with what he did at SMU the last couple of seasons now coming to be in Phil Longo's offense. They're going to be tough defensively and also up front with Braylon Allen toting the rock for him. But also they'll be able to, in theory at least, in this offense and the receivers they got through the portal, kind of sling it around the yard a little bit. And to me, that balance – could make them a factor. So I like them actually to come out of the Big Ten West, and we're talking about this in May. So I'll reserve the right to change, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Wisconsin to come out of the Big Ten West and uh, face one of those three-headed monsters uh, within the Big Ten on the other side. The three games of the Big Ten, man. It's going to be a fun, fun year in the Big Ten. Let's pivot to the national landscape. Uh, Heisman. I love hearing the Heisman sleepers coming into this year. I don't know if a sleeper is the right term because I saw it in limited action. To me, the litmus test of potential great quarterbacks is how you fare against Alabama. And Quinn Ewers last year, for those two quarters he was healthy, he was spinning the freaking rock against a Saban defense. And that is about, like, we've seen it with Deshaun Watson. We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Manziel did it 
I think he could have been a phenomenal professional quarterback had he put the time and effort into doing it. It was just more of a mental thing with him. Talent level is how you how you play against Bama. That's my kind of litmus test. And Quinn Ewers was doing it great. Obviously, one of the more highly recruited prospects of the last decade plus. But do you see him as a legitimate Heisman candidate? And who are your Heisman sleeper candidates coming into 2023? You know, I think Quinn Ewers has all the ability to be in that Heisman conversation. The reality is so much of it is how does your team do as well? And, you know, we're going to kind of dig into Texas and get closer and closer to the season. I think Quinn Ewers is definitely a Heisman sleeper. I don't know if I put him, you know, super high on my my Heisman list just yet. A guy that I think is going to get a lot of buzz as we get rolling here, you think about the quarterback for potentially the best team in the country yet again is going to be Carson Beck. And he's not officially announced as the starter, but like everybody and their mother assumes Carson Beck's going to be the starter when Georgia gets rolling here in the fall. I think just his situation where he's not going to be asked to go out and throw it 40 times a game, and there's not going to be pressure to, hey, Carson, we got to score on this drive. Like, you got a Georgia defense on the other side of the ball that brings back a ton of production. So they're fine over there. And, oh, by the way, you're throwing to Brock Bowers. Like, there's so much built out around him to where if he just kind of does what he's supposed to do, you expect him to put up good numbers. If he has a big game against Tennessee that second to last weekend of the year, and then Georgia – does what they're supposed to do and goes and wins the SEC, and he's a big factor of it. Like, I think he's a guy that if you're putting down money today, he has to be at the top of your list for someone in that dark horse category. Yeah, and J.D., you've been so gracious with your time, man. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I just got one more question for you, brother. Give me, if you were picking four teams, in your opinion, to make the college football playoffs, who are you going with and why? Oh, man. Man, you're doing. See, it's not even prediction season yet, Will. We're, we're not there yet. You know what? I'll I'll go. Do it. We'll, we'll give one. We'll, we'll uh, or not one. We'll give one field reserving our right to change. I think USC. Yeah, it has to be their year. I think Michigan. It has to be their year. I really believe that Georgia is going to find themselves right back in it. So we got the SEC. We got the Pac-12. You know, I think in the ACC. You know, it's May. Let's go ahead and say Florida State right now. Again, this this is not our official prediction. We'll talk about that when it gets closer. But those are the four teams that if you told me, hey, you got to pick them today, I would probably go with that field of four. Man, yeah, Jordan Travis leading the reins out there with Johnny Wilson at Florida State. I like the pick. J.D., only a mile and a half away from your Chick-fil-A and crumble cookies out there. Exactly. At Deontre's studio, man. So good to see you, brother. We got to do this again soon. I had an absolute blast, man. Thank you for coming on. No doubt, Will. Pleasure was all mine, brother. Appreciate you having me on. We'll do it again soon. College football less than 100 days away, guys. Let's get ready for it. Is up, Bruin Bible listeners. We have another advertisement for you. We are so lucky to be sponsored by the great people at Athletic Greens. Uh, I started taking Athletic Greens specifically because I was lacking energy, lacking focus throughout the day, and needed some special pick-me-up ingredients to make things happen in my life. Athletic Greens has done just that. I've become absolutely addicted to the process. It has over 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to make your life easier uh, by doing this during the day. I like to take it to start my mornings off. I like to do it before a workout. It makes you feel energized, focused, and just have a lot more energy throughout the day than I typically expected. Right now, is the, it's the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. Uh, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements 
to look out for your health. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to be give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LAFB. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LAFB to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, a game changer when it comes to your health and your focus and your mindset.